Hey, I'm Chris with Perma Pave Regging, and I also own a hardscape company called Ganton's Outdoor Living in Ohio. Uh, Mike, thanks for having me, and I am a hardscaper. What's happening, hardscapers? This is episode 245 of the How to Hardscape podcast, where we talk about how you can start and grow your hardscaping business. And on today's episode, we have another I Am a Hardscaper episode, where we bring on a hardscape business owner and do a deep dive into their hardscaping business. And this is a familiar voice that we've had on way back in 2020, maybe even late 2019 on the podcast, but talking about Perma Edge Paving. And now we're having Chris back on the show to talk about his hardscape business for an I Am A Hardscaper interview here. So not only will we get a little bit of a background on Chris and his business, but also a little bit about Perma Edge and its evolution during those early years as well here. And this episode's not sponsored by Perma Edge or anything, but if you are looking for a concrete edge restraint, I would definitely think about checking out Perma Edge there. And going back into our catalog to find that episode and I'll actually link it in the show notes so that you can find that there really quick. But before we get into today's episode, we want to thank our sponsors, Cycle CPA. If you're looking for bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA. Let them know how to hard skip since you have money off their services there at CycleCPA.com. And if you're looking for a system to help you in your business, the How to Hardscape headquarters software is something that may be able to help you with budgeting, estimating, job costing, scheduling, time tracking, and so many more features that we have released, including every time you create a project is approved by the client, you'll get into a chat group with all your employees assigned to that specific project so you can document anything and everything throughout that project in that chat group and it'll be archived with that project for future reference. Shoot me a message at how to hardscape on Instagram. And for the month of February, if you are interested in learning more about the software or just having a quick trial where we will hop on a one hour call with you, help you create a budget and understand how much overhead you need to be making back for every hour spent on the job site. You can just reach out to me at how to hardscape on Instagram to schedule that call. We'll get you set up. We'll give you a trial of the software to just create your budget. And at the very least, you'll learn whether or not you like the software and you'll at least learn how much overhead you need to get back into your business every hour that you work there. You can also go to members.howtohardscape.com to learn more about this as well as our hardscape training videos and courses that we have available there. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. All right, Chris, let's get to know a little bit more about you, yourself, how you got started in the industry. Take this wherever you want it, but give our audience a little bit of context as to your beginnings to where you are today. Uh, sure, Mike. I, um, you know, I guess I'll go way, way back. You know, I, I never knew exactly what I wanted to do. And uh, at around 15 years old, my first job was in a nursery um, here local. I, I'll tell you a quick little story about that. They, they do mail order and a garden center. So all the guys after orientation got put, you know, with the shrubs and the trees out in nursery sales. And I got stuck in the perennial, perennial greenhouse. Uh, with all the girls. So I, I felt kind of bummed because all my friends stepped away. But it actually ended up being a really good thing because I spent two and a half years in that perennial greenhouse learning all the botanical names and all that. So um, that that turned out to be well. I worked there for a few years. Um, all the way back in, I'll say, 93, I um, started working with a lo- local guy um, that did hardscapes. He had a really good hardscape supervisor at the time. So, um, I got, I got a job there, worked there for a couple of years and just got, just fell in love with it. Um, but that's where I learned, you know, like the early beginnings and, 
you know, of course, we did a lot of things different back then. Don't have have all the uh, cool tools and stuff to use now that we did then. So uh, that just drove me a little back and forth. You know, I kind of started my own little landscaping gig, not knowing much. Um, that didn't go too well in the beginning. You know, I was I was 19 years old or so and just um, uh, thought I knew it all, but I didn't. Right. So um, I went to work for a, another company. Um, that, that only did like lawn maintenance and uh, commercial grass mowing. They wanted to start a landscape division. Um, so they hired a designer, then the designer hired me to, to, to build them. And uh, that, that was re a really good part um, of, you know, my, my, it, that, that portion right there, I worked there about six years and took it all the way up. So it was kind of nice. I got someone was starting into the hardscaping business um, so I got to kind of use their money, but run it how I wanted to. So that was a really good experience for me. We went from um, just a couple guys to around 16 guys, four crews, and uh, about six, seven years. Um, so that's when I decided um, to leave there and start my own business. Um, I'm here in Beaver Creek, Ohio. So I own a landscape company called Yanton's Outdoor Living. Um, see, it's been... Going on 20, um, 16 years, 16 years. Yeah. Um, so pr prior to that, I skipped a little portion. I started, um, I merged my company with a company when we, we just rehabbed houses. And um, I was just spread too thin. That's when I realized about, you know, a, a year or two later that that I need to concentrate on, on the one business um, because it was actually doing pretty good and the other one was kind of draining it. So, um, but yeah, so we're, we're a small, um, you know, family owned business, um, three, um, I, I run three to four guys. Sometimes I'll bring in a fifth and, you know, in the heat of the season, it just depends on our project load. So fairly small company, you know, we concentrate on just high customer service, um, and quality work. Okay, so lots of follow-up questions from here. Uh, but first, where does PermEdge kind of fit in this sort of picture as you get going here? That became that that was from just solving a problem. Um I for many I, I didn't really care for the spiked edgings uh from, from when I first started working with them. Um, but that was one of my big biggest pet peeves when I started my own company. Um I'd go back to projects just to do look around. I wasn't getting a lot of calls or anything, but I'd go around. I could see the edging sticking up, and that was the only point of failure that I could find. So um, it's, it all started. I went to a uh, – they did short courses at Ohio State. Um, uh, they, they, they did kind of like something similar to – I always forget the name of it, but it was an a, a annual thing they did. That you could come and take short courses in an open venue. So for the green industry, I ran into a guy there that we were discussing spiked edgings, and he started telling me that they use concrete. Um, so I came home and started using some concrete of my own at my house just to see before I passed it along. And I mean, within a year or two, I was impressed already by how much better I thought it performed than than the edging. But there were some issues. So over the years, I, I just started making my own admix, fibers, throwing a couple things, dash of this, things I researched online. And um, 
I, I talked about it for a long time and, um, you know, um, started doing some field testing and, and got ended up hiring an engineer. Um, oh gosh, back in 99, 2000 to help me start formulate a couple things. So yeah, I did, I did about five years of field testing and, um, about four and a half, close to five years for four, four winners, um, of field testing, because I just had to make sure that what I was bringing into my own industry, um, and that, that was the biggest thing was just finding a solution, um, for that. So how does that fit in with your current business? Cause you're still owning and operating your business. Does, um, yeah. How do you, how do you manage that time-wise and what does that look like? I tell you a couple things here. Uh, in in the beginning, I, it was it was really hard. Um, the the first year sixteen, we it, it was a very slow start. I didn't come out the gate running like I should have because of the other business. Um, but at the same time, that was my bread and butter. That's what supported my family. But what I learned quickly is, permits forced me to do things in my business that I should have done years ago. Um, you know, like they say, work on your business, not in your business. It forced me to do that. My prior to permage, my hands were on everything, um, and um, one of the main reasons that I'm able to do it is I, I have a really great guy um, on my team that's been with me 15 years, and and that's just such a blessing to have a. Um, I can honestly tell you, if it wasn't for him, I definitely wouldn't be able to do what what I'm doing. So. Uh, the support of others and rearranging the way I ran that business um, is what enables able. I'm definitely busy. <laughs> I'm definitely, you, you know, but well, you know, we, we all are, man, all of us entrepreneurs, you know? So, yeah. So what's, what was the key to holding on to that employee for so long and to have him uh, step up into a role that allowed you to, uh, you know, focus on permage a little bit there? One, obviously treating them well, the environment. Um, you know, you hear a lot of employees say, don't become friends with your employees. I, I think that's really impossible with a small business. I, I mean, obviously not impossible, but I don't think you're going to invite and have the culture that you need. Um, so there, there is a bond, I think, making them feel, it, well, not, not only just it's not a false sense, uh, making sure that they know how much they appreciate it sometimes goes a lot further than the money, you know? Um, but um, I think also that he really enjoyed the responsibility that I put on him. It showed him I had faith on him at, at another level. And um, so that that's been the key really is, is um, just, just nurturing that relationship and making sure that I care just as much about his family as I do my own. So then going back to uh, when you worked for initially that lawn maintenance company, they hire on a designer, you take on the build aspect for about six years there. Um, what was it about that that made you want to start your own business as opposed to kind of build that up as sort of, uh, you know, similar role to what uh, you were just talking about there in your company uh, that employee does? Uh, what made you want to kind of dive back into starting your own business again there? You know, just just like a lot of people say, I think you know, I had I had multiple failures up until that point, and um, seeing that I could, basically, like I said earlier, kind of use someone else's funds 
Uh, the great thing with that company is, is I had a, a boss that really just, I mean, wasn't on, really just gave me the reins. Just take this. Of course, we had um, goals set and things like that, but um, re- really gave me the opportunity. So, so once I realized, hey, I can do this, um, it um, obviously the money, you know, as well. Um, I think one of the biggest things for all of us when I, at the end of the day is, you know, I, I want to yank my own chain. I don't want someone else yanking my chain. Right. And so um, that, that obviously was a huge part of it. Getting a taste, getting a taste of running my own business and, and the, some of the freedoms that come with that prior to working there, that was always there as well. Um, so it, the timing was right. I, um, I, 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 Spent about two years prior, I already knew I was going to leave. Um, so I, you know, saved and bought a, a one-ton truck in a, a trailer. Um, I, I purchased some things. Um, I was doing a lot of side work. Oh yeah, uh, a, a lot of side work. And the cool thing was, the owner of that company, they had so much little stuff. He would let me do the, the side stuff on the weekend, use his equipment, and giving twenty percent. So. Um, I, I was working double duty for those last two years to to save equipment. So I, I had a plan prior. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So uh, what were you able to take from that experience and apply it to your new business? Because you did mention uh, even after the nursery, you started a business. It didn't go so well. So you came back to, uh, or actually after the hardscape business for a couple of years, you did uh, started your own business at 19 and then went to work for this gentleman. So what was it about that experience specifically that you were able to start your own business and now be in business for as long as you have? Uh, in many ways, you know, one real uh, a better understanding of um, purchasing materials to, you know, I, I transitioned from only building, but also doing commercial bids that we took, we just started doing commercial work as well. I learned that I didn't want to do commercial work <laughs> for the most part. Uh, you know, we've done a little over the years, but for the most part, um, um, it was a great company. I have nothing bad to say about them, but I also wasn't pleased with the customer service. And there were some things that um, the owner of that company was really concerned about volume and not quality. So it, I definitely knew that I didn't want to be a maintenance company. I, I wanted a niche of design and build and mainly stick to hardscapes. So that was that was a huge thing over the years that I learned. Um, a lot of planting jobs and things. I mean, we still do some planting jobs, um, obviously, but we're not just going to come in and you know, re-landscape your yard typically if we're not doing hardscapes. But um, I think that, the, I guess, in a nutshell, I, I learned how to manage my time better. Um, I learned a lot about the finances in the, in the back office of a business. And I learned of, of a lot of the, the failures helped me the most. The failures in my early on 19-year-old dumb self starting a business and backing out of it before I got myself too deep in a hole. Um, then the, the company that I worked for for six or seven years, I, I learned um, a lot about how I didn't want to treat my customers um, to a certain extent. Um, it's just simple things uh, like work we had done and a year later, something's falling apart. He's fighting them on fixing it. Things like that. You realize, man, 
you know, a thousand dollars could have went a long way to fix that for that person. And, and, and really, you know, start to help me realize my warranty terms that I wanted to start with out a, a lot of that stuff. And then, uh, so going from that point, you start your own business where once you make the decision to go off on your own, where are those leads coming from? How do you get that ball rolling that you know that this is the right time to leave that business and start my own business? You know, a lot of it was established from side work. You know, I had, had some existing clients and, and early on, you know, my, my, um, you know, the mission of our company and the things we do today are obviously way different than, than when I first started, you know, we, I, I, I did a lot of mulching, uh, a lot of maintenance stuff that I, I said, I really didn't want to get into, but I had to, you know, it was, it was income. Um, obviously starting off for, for anyone, unless they have a lot of capital to put into it, which I didn't, um, was just sweat, uh, sweat equity. So it, it was, um, you know, for the first two years, I mean, you know, we didn't have any, we didn't have a bobcat. It was back in the day, you know, when you were loading your, your trailer with wheelbarrows and unloading your trailer at night. Um, so, um, yeah, we, um, there, there's a lot of things that we do different now, but the marketing, the, the work, a lot of it, you know, once, you know, we were doing, um, you know, just had some cards and set up a simple website. And we, we would do door hangers um, and a lot of referrals. Friends and family helped us out early on with some work. Because you got to be careful about that, right? I, th I think one of the biggest mistakes that uh, a lot of companies, and I did when I was 19, is, you know, family. Oh, you do landscaping. So they, you know, you give them the family discount. If you do too many of those family friends, especially early on at a discount, you're cutting your profits back. It can put a business under sometimes if, if they do too much of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I've gotten caught in that a couple of times. And now I just tried to say not to do work for any friends or family. Uh, it's a little bit easier that way for sure. Yeah. I, I, I actually I, I have some family that gets it and, and they, they actually try to pay me more. You know, oh, wow. like, you know, obviously that's how it should be if we really support our friends, you know, Um it's one side of it. You can look at a discount, but if you really support your 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 friend and in, in what they're doing, um, you should pay their price. But and uh, okay, so you start your own business. Uh, at what point do uh, does the ball start to roll and you get that word of mouth leads going? At what point do you feel more and more comfortable and confident in your business uh, that you're not going to repeat sort of the same mistakes that you may have in the past there? It was it was pretty rough for me the first four to five years. Um, it, it 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 was probably on that fourth or fifth year. Um, you know, I I still made some mistakes. You know, there there were mistakes made, and um, you know, like where we are today. You know, you've got some great companies like um, Synced Up, for instance. Um, you know, about knowing your numbers, and I think a lot. I mean. There's things that I've learned from that just in the, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. so there was, there was a lot of monetary mistakes yeah. early on. I mean, you know, did, quite honestly, you know, I made the mistakes even early on of, you know, ending up on this, this backward snowball because I was collecting deposits and my funds weren't right. And a lot of, a lot of landscapers can get caught up in that trap. You got to be real careful not to, but luckily I didn't get too bad. It never, the snowball never ran me over. But, you know, the things like that are, are, are tough lessons or, or you know, when, when to rent equipment. 
um, when to hire, who to hire, you know, um, that's a big thing early on is the hiring, you know, you're desperate for help and not putting the right people in the right positions. That was some of the, the, the early pains, but it all boiled back to money though. Right. I mean, it, it did for me, you know, yep, I mean, yep. we're all trying to pay the bills in our business and our household. So early on, that was the toughest thing to get straight and have enough work to come in and support that. Okay. So then uh, my next question for you here about money um, and feel free to tell me if you don't want to answer this. Uh, at what point does Perma Edge get started? And are you past the point in your business where you're comfortable? Because obviously, Permedge being a physical product, I'm sure there's lots of capital that gets deployed into that just to bring it to market uh, before you even start making any money on it. So at, at that point, when you start Permedge and you're bringing it to market and you're sinking cash into it, are you past the point in your hardscaping business where you're comfortable uh, it, at where it is capital wise? Um, yes, the, the hardscape business um, has, has grown over the years. Um, it definitely uh, it's in a good it, it's in a very good place the hardscape company um, you know for several years when we first did we started permit in two thousand I started permit in two thousand sixteen and um, that that was tough again I was about to make the same mistake as I made early on as spreading myself too thin so that was the most one of the most important parts. Um, but the, the hardscape business has been very lucrative. Um, you know, some changes and things, things we even learned over COVID um, is, you know, just, just like a lot of the guys in the industry now is is buying the right equipment um, uh, to lower your man hours, um, you know, maybe decrease the, the number of people that you need on the job. So all of those changes just kind of happen all at once. Um for me when when I started permit slowly over the next couple of years but I I had to, I learned a lot while I was doing it um the um but I've been very fortunate to have the hardscape guy I, I can tell you I I would not have been able because you know, I didn't pull money I didn't pay myself for permit for years and um don't, don't pay myself a lot now but um the the hardscape business is really what has carried me uh made me able to do it gotcha so then with your time in the industry uh and especially in business we've already kind of touched on this a, a few times throughout this but the, the changes in the industry uh whether that's equipment or like you're talking about software or the online side of the aspect of the business uh which of these changes has had the biggest impact on you or your business and uh, for example, like how has the industry changed since you've started your own business and what things have you really embraced to help really grow your business at this point? I tell you, I, I'm in a, I'm in a really good spot because of Permedge that I travel around the country, um, and get to go to a lot of these seminars, uh, whether I'm a sponsor or just, you know, a vendor set up. So, um, you know, I've, uh, a lot of the people that I'm involved with is it's unique because I learned so much from these guys. Um, I, you know, I just did one this past weekend, um, the Hardscape Mastery. And I got to sit through those seminars and hear it's like I took so much away from it. So it's like you're continually growing. Um, I, I really love it. 
because where the industry is today from 20, even 30 years ago, is just leaps and bounds. Um, I, I think we're getting the youth excited about it, uh, which is awesome, right? I mean, oh, you're a landscaper. So you're not a plumber, electrician, or a doctor, or lawyer. Hardscaping, I really feel it's it's really growing in the sense that it's a skilled trade and it needs to be viewed as such. Um, and so that's that's the best thing, I think, overall for me to see happen. And um here here guys like Andy Mulder and people like that, or, you know, a lot there's lots of guys um that are showing people you can make a very lucrative living, I mean a very good living. Um hardscaping or design and build um so th there's a much more desired industry i think there's some youth moving this way they're intrigued by it um and uh, the equipment that's available today is just I i'm blown away um some of the times and, it and it's taken me you know i've been in the same trap i'm no different than uh, you know i i've done i did things you know i do things this way to change what I'm doing. You know, the same thing we're expecting out of people that have been putting spiked edges in for like, hey, we've got what we believe a way better system. Check it out. It's really hard to get people to change those old habits. And so um, I think we started doing clear base about five years ago, five, maybe close to six. Um, this might be our sixth season doing clear base. I drew, you know, maybe in the middle somewhere I fell with people switching over to that, I would guess. Um, to see that change, um, uh, I, like I said, I'm just blown away and um, makes me proud of my industry. There's so much ingenuity. There's so many smart people on every end of this that are constantly thinking of a better way, possibly a quicker and better way, um, ways to save these guys, our backs, you know, <laughs> You, you know, it's it's as you get older, you, you either got to come up with an escape plan or have a team or whatever you choose to do there. But the, uh, I like that that we're creating ways to keep our, our team healthier, um, increase the business capacity and show them that you care about. We want to take a break from today's episode to thank our sponsor, Cycle CPA. Are you basing your business decisions solely on a gut feeling? If so, you may be leaving potential profits on the table. It's crucial to base these important decisions on your financials, whether you're planning to hire a new employee, add another crew, purchase equipment or vehicles, or take on more debt to support a new service line at Cycle CPA. They not only handle bookkeeping and taxes, but they also provide guidance in advisory services tailored to the landscape and hardscape industry. Their team of specialized accountants ensures that when it comes to making the next key decision in your company, you'll have a financial partner in your corner. So visit them at cyclecpa.com and for $200 off, mention the How to Hardscape podcast. Now back to our episode. Definitely. Let's get into uh, when a client contacts you. Uh, what does that look like for you to ensure that uh, this client may be a client for your business? What kind of questions? So whether that's a, a client phone calls you, texts you, emails you, uh, where do you take that from there? And how do you uh, go about ensuring that this might be a client for you? What questions are you asking? And uh, all the way to the scheduling of that initial consultation. Uh, how do you do that? So, we, you know, we, we, we've got a website. There's a form on there they can fill out. The form doesn't get really detailed. 
Um, and I know some people do and it, it works for them and it, it might work for me, but I really like to, I really like to speak to that person. If I have the opportunity, I know people are, are digital a lot and, and I've done a little bit of that. You can kind of tell when someone rather work through email, they're not calling you, they're trying to schedule the time. And so I might unload the questions there, but I personally really like to talk to them, hear their voice, hear the tone, hear their excitement. Um, so that's very important to me. And, and, and be honest, I don't, have a set set of questions. I mean, there's there's definitely ones that I ask, but I really just kind of go with the flow. Um, but I definitely try to ask some key questions. You know, what are they what are they looking at doing? Um, you know, I rarely ask the budget on that first conversation. I'd rather try to build that relationship so they can understand where I'm coming from. Um, so we I, I don't charge for that first consultation. Um, I'm leaning and kind of trying to strategically think about doing that. Um, but I, I try to pre-qualify so much over the phone that I really haven't had an issue of wasted too much wasted time. I mean, obviously we should get paid for our time and I understand some guys are charging a hundred, 150 for that consultation. Um, don't get me wrong. There's times I wish, oh my gosh, I've been here two hours. I don't think this guy's going to do anything. I mean, you know, they, that was blown. Um, but I definitely have more on the plus side of that that I haven't had to worry about that. But, um, um, you know, I, 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 uh, one thing I, I definitely do, I stalk people on social media. I mean, if I get their name, I try to pull them up on Facebook, Instagram, see if I can find them see the face of who I'm dealing with, kind of see the kind of things they like. It also helps me understand their style, possibly, from the type of car they may be driving. There might be pictures of their house. or um, So I try to understand the client as much as I can before I get there. And um, so I mean, if you want me to dig deeper, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, typically go that first consult. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that we may do different than a lot of guys that works for us is um, most of our clients before I even do a design, I know they're going to work with me. So I really don't have to worry about a design fee. I mean, I'll tack it into the job, but um, my, my, I, I have that first consultation um, unless it's something, you know, elaborate. I mean, I, I'd say our average job for our hardscape crews around 30, 40 grand. Um, you know, I mean, we, we have, you know, last winter we did about, a you know, over 200,000. It was one of my bigger projects. Um, one of our top three, you know, biggest I've, we've ever done. Um, but, um, you know, I, I typically try to put together a preliminary quote. I, I talk numbers right away. So for example, if, if they want a 500 square foot patio, maybe they're roughly before design, looking at 40 foot of seat wall, four pillars, lighting. I put a rough picture of what that looks like. The one caveat I put in there, because at that time I've already seen my access into the job, um, all of those things is, as I stayed out the quote, I put, the, the what I'm quoting is for the average cost of papers. So, for example, if I say I'm basing this off nine dollars a square foot for your papers, I, I, I list in there that this is a rough estimate and it may vary once you do final material selection. Same thing on the seat wall, same thing 
um, you know, with, with the limestone caps, lights, whatever. So my customer, I'm able to produce that quote very quickly. Most of my clients get a preliminary quote for me within 24 hours. That kind of nips in the bud right there. It, you know, typically, even what I just told you, it may take me 10 minutes to put that together, send it off. Um, most of the time we get a deposit off of that, knowing that it can go up or down depending on the materials they pick. Most customers, because we're typically booked out three to eight months, just depends. Um, they want to get on our schedule and we don't put people on our schedule until we get a deposit. So um, that's why we do that preliminary quote. Um, they can kind of see our pricing, see if it's in their budget. We kind of go from there. So that initial consultation, uh, they have you out. What what questions are you asking them or how are you trying to get the information out of them as to what they want in their backyard? Uh, like, for example, they may not want know that they want a seat wall or a feature wall somewhere like that. Um, where, where do you kind of take that and what kind of questions are you asking to kind of pull that out of them and to lay it out for them so that they can sort of start to visualize it and say yes or no to certain things so that you can start to price that sort of uh, those features out for them? Yeah, no, uh, great question. So I always take a pad with me um, to do some like rough pencil sketches um, just just to so they can understand what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I heard this last weekend and it's part of mine, too, is I, I listen a lot. Um, you know, I mean, it, you know, if, if, if you talk and, you know, you got to listen to people, in my opinion. I mean, yes, us as, as the designer, they're calling us. I'm definitely going to put in my input. I'm going to tell the client when something's not going to work for sure or things that can work better. But I really try to listen to what they want. But I go through questions, you know, big part is how much space do you need? You know, how much do you entertain? What type of features are you? Um, have you seen seat walls? You know, I kind of tell them what seat walls can do for them besides just being decorative, you know, that they're very functional. And, um, you know, uh, definitely go into lighting. Um, would typically take my notepad, um, my digital notepad, and show them pictures of some other projects and ideas. Um, but, um, you know, I also try to keep it simple as well, I, you know, especially with like the materials, right? Um, I may give them one catalog. Sometimes I don't give them a catalog at all. It just depends on their need. You can tell the people like, hey, I don't know anything. I need you to pick the colors and design and all that. And then you have some that are just, they want to see every single thing available. But um, I, I really dig deep into their needs, functionality. And then I, I try to show what it could be. Um, and, and um, uh, you know, we we do a lot of you know fire pits and fireplaces and things like that. Um, you know, I, I run into a ton of people that think they want to build in fire pit, but they're putting in like a 300, 400 square foot patio. And so you just got to discuss those things, either you know, get it on the outside or maybe you should do something portable because um, you're going to take up unwanted space when you're out of the fire. But there's, there's definitely a lot of questions, but it's more about their needs. And um, to me, um, and I definitely try to upsell, you know, like you said, there's a lot of customers that want something they don't even know is out there or they don't even know that they want it to show it to. Them. Um, so we, we definitely I, I try to do that through pictures. 
um, or giving them ideas of what it could be. Um, and, um, you know, if, if, if they, I do eventually try to get some budget out of them for sure. Um, if it's not something that they want to discuss, I definitely ask them, um, say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to start putting pen to paper on this. And it's going to take me some time. You know, do you want the, the Cadillac or the, you know, the Ford Focus? Um, I, I typically don't have to say that much. Um, because I'll, I'll typically over design and we can back things out. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, I, I think you can get to a dangerous point there as well. Uh, I think if you have a feel for a customer that you know, like, hey, there's maybe you can just tell sometimes from the way they're talking. Sometimes they'll tell you, hey, this is tight. Um, you definitely don't want to over design something like that, because in my opinion. Um, so I think a lot of this is experience, listening to your gut. Um, trust me, I, I've made tons of mistakes. Um Sometimes I have too much empathy for people as well. That falls on me. Oh, you know, can you do this for that? And um, that, That's definitely something I've learned over the years. I, I never adjust my numbers unless they want to remove remove something from it. Uh, you're not just going to get a discount because you're asked, hey, you know, this job's $11,000. We'll, I'll sign a contract for ten. dollars uh, That doesn't work. But, and I'm not saying it hasn't worked in the past, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were starving, it's like, I, I couldn't watch that leave. Right. Right. <laughs> as long exactly. as I wasn't underwater. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you prepare that quick, like 10 minute uh, sort of estimate to kind of feel them out, see if they uh, would be a good fit uh, budget wise. Uh, do you then start to build a design if they say, yeah, that looks like something that we can do and, and you build a design and then give them a quote with the design? Absolutely. So after we get a deposit, so 90% of our customers, I'll give them that preliminary quote. You know, they may say, Chris, and, and granted, a lot of our work now is referrals. 90% of my work nowadays is referrals. I do most of our work within a 10, 10, 10 15 miles of clove pro flies. Um, around me. That's 90% of our work. Um, so we've been in this hometown for a long time. So most people know they want to work with me. So I think that's part of it, right? I, um, a lot of people, the way we are doing it, uh, it can get a lot touchier where you're, they're working out. They don't know your kids go to the school here and they don't know you. Um, but it hasn't been a problem for us. We typically get on that preliminary quote. Um, once they're like, yeah, what do we got to do to get on your schedule? Um, depending on how far we're out, we'll do a 25% schedule. Typically we'll do 50%, um, you know, really on anything over 5,000 or so. And, uh, that puts you on our schedule that day prior to design, prior to materials that, that gets you on our schedule in our queue. So that's when I'll start, um, uh, typically that first consultation, if I have time, I'll already have pictures and measurements, so I don't have to go back. So I I, I start working on the design, um, and um, 80% of the time, they hey, if you want to see four to six samples, I'm happy to bring them. Um, but I also encourage them, I know a lot of people don't do this, but I also encourage them to go to our local dealer. Uh, I know that's a lot of materials to be showing your customer, but if they give me a price range, I kind of give them a list of things to look at. And it's worked out really well for us because our dealer's happy to do it. There's some great guys working there. I, I really recommend if you have a dealer like that, that the, that you use them because that can take a whole 
one to four hours off of me. And my clients, unless they've never told me, my clients have never said, hey, I didn't like doing it. Um, nine times out of 10, they might even come back with a material that I didn't suggest. Because the one thing I don't want to happen is when you give that customer the, maybe the one catalog. And trust me, we have plenty that they're fine. They'll pick one. You, you know how it goes. Some people are very decisive. Um, hey, I, I do want you to see these papers in person, though, because the, the book doesn't look like the real life. I make sure they see that regardless. But I really, I really like sitting with the dealer because it takes it off my shoulder. And they don't have a patio one day that two years later they're at their friend's house. At least basically I showed them all the options. It kind of puts it on them. Um, so anyways, I, I like to utilize the dealer a lot. Um, even bringing samples, you know, most of your dealers, if you say, hey, can you drop off these samples? They'll usually mark the side with a Sharpie with the color and they'll do that for you. You just got to, you know, and th those are the little things that I thought I had to do. But if you have a good dealer that you're buying a lot of materials from, usually their outside sales guy doesn't mind doing that for you. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. And and coming from a dealer background, they'll definitely, if they're uh, a good dealer, they'll definitely go out of their way for you uh, in, that, in that regard, for sure. And like you said, take away like an hour to four hours off your plate is huge, especially when you're an owner operator in the field. That That's valuable time. It, it, it is. It is. And I and I that's even something I need to work on today. Um, I actually heard someone say it at this last event I was at is try your best to have everything delivered, um, everything, you know, and, and obviously having those little parts and stuff at your shop that you, you use a lot. But um, I need to work harder on that as well. And that's obviously part of the planning process. But, you know, whether it's plumbing parts or, or fasteners or whatever. There's typically a company that can do it. You might look at it and go, well, it's $10, $20 more to do it. Not really when you're going to, you know, try to stay out of the hardware store best you can. Um, but um, I, I apologize. I probably circled around on that Oh, no, no, you're good. But we, we, we do that. I mean, that's really it. We get that preliminary quote. Most people pay deposit before I even start the design. Once I get that, I typically, depending on how backed up we are, is... I I typically have their design to them within two weeks. Um, again, it takes the pressure off. They're already on our schedule. And that's definitely something I've learned over the years is most of the time when I was in a pinch or rushing or not getting things to customers on time, it typically was my fault. Something that could be handled early on, just like my designs. I really take a look at my schedule and say, well, when can I get that design? And they're excited, right? They just paid you. 10, 15, 20 grand deposit, you're, you, they got you now, right? But I think it's fine as long as you communicate. And that's something that us as contractors, you know, I'm like, oh, I could, damn, I could get it to them in two weeks. But I didn't really look it through my calendar and see what, how bad that was going to press me. So I think if you have to say, you know, maybe you're booked out three, four months. So what, you know, I know they're anxious, but sometimes you can say, you know what? It, it may be three to four weeks guaranteed in a month, you know, um, give yourself enough time to get these things done. If it, Obviously, if you have work backed up, if you're starting out fresh, man, you got to, right, you got to hammer down, you got to get it to them and get, get this job going or whatever. But if you have time, make sure you get through this whole process. I think that's one of the most important things, especially if you have a family, right? If you don't plan those things correctly, 
you're going to run yourself ragged. You're going to be coming in the door late every night and you're, you're not going to be happy. Your wife, girlfriend, your family, it's, it's just all the way around. And I think if we just do a little back end work and think that really think that through before we spit out an answer. Um, um, because I think most of us want to do what we say we're going to do, obviously that that's important. So Anyways, I, I think when I don't do that, it's my fault at the end of the day that, that I didn't think it through and give myself enough time. I'm guilty of that so many times of, uh, yeah, just saying something just pops into my head and I say it and then I get back because I'm unorganized and I look at my schedule and I think I that's going to be tough to do now. Uh, yeah, it definitely is. Organization is not a strong point of mine, that's for sure. <laughs> it, it's it yeah you know it just you, you get, and that's part of the rush right yeah. i could be more organized if i wasn't in such a hurry all the time right uh, my guys on my hardscape crew you know it's funny you know the, the boss leaves the job and then we all got little nicknames for each other man yeah. you know <laughs> if you don't you're not doing it right so uh one day i heard one of them slip when i'm on the job so come to find out my name was captain hurry <laughs> i mean and so i love it i loved it but re really when i heard that that really helped me to change i mean i started to realize from you know like in the past four years my guys have maybe worked one or two saturdays i try to work on 40 hours a week and that was all for me not from scheduling jobs too close not giving myself the space in between to regroup and really, no, I've never had a customer complain that you're coming around. So give yourself that space. Don't worry if it's a month too much space. That's that's good. Um, so I really, um, I'm not saying I don't goof up sometimes still, um, but but I really, that's that's been a key part, I think, and also keeping my guys out. I'm not overworking them. I'm not there stressed out trying to explain to them in 15 minutes because I got an appointment down the road that I got to leave for something that really takes a half hour of explaining. So I'm like, well, put this there and do that. And then I come back and they're off an inch or something. It's my fault. So um, that, that's, that's helped a lot. Uh, in terms of that proposal, when you send it out uh, in your pricing, how do you structure that? Is it just one lump sum pricing for the entire project? Do you break it up into work areas? Do you do line item pricing? How does that go out for you, Chris? Um, it, it's not all in bulk, but it is general. So I typically keep the flat work all together. So the pavers, any flagstone like that, I'll line item it within there, but each line item doesn't have a separate price. Gotcha. They'll get a buy. Then, then they'll have a price for the flat work. Then I'll do like seat walls and pillars together. You know, um, I'll lump that one solid price, um, you know, whether it's a water feature, fire feature, lighting, I'll lump it in categories like that. And each will have their own price with the total at the bottom. We talked about pricing. We talked about uh, deposits and all that. I asked this next question after I asked about pricing, because sometimes this is the answer to it. But what, what's a horror story that you have in your time in business? And the reason why I asked this is we have a lot of younger contractors, contractors that 
want to start in business. Uh, and it just helps them to prepare themselves of what can happen in business. Uh, it doesn't have to be related to pricing, but a lot of times it is. Uh, but Chris, do you have a horror story from your time in business that you'd want to share with us? The only reason I'm hesitating, Mike, because there's, there's maybe three or four, but <laughs> um, one of the worst things that has happened to us is is is, is a, uh, a pretty good sized client that that never paid us. Um, the fault on my end was paperwork. This was probably 13, 13 14 years ago. Um, not having a, a definitely some some the right verbiage in our in our in our contract. I think that's really important. Doesn't even have to be something that you wrote out. You can typically take it from somewhere. Um, but you know, we've got certain verbiage uh, about deposits and non-payments and things like that on on all of our stuff now that just automatically goes on there. Um, but that that was um that was a big one for me, man. And um it, it was a tricky thing. The the we it was a job we did a bunch of topsoil on. I it's twenty six thousand um, that we never got, and um, you know I, I probably could have fought it harder back then. Um, it's a lot of topsoils. Uh, the guy was really nice at first. Towards the tail end, he was non-existent. It was his wife. And the day before, he told us everything looked beautiful. It, it was a sham from the beginning. Uh, one of those ones you just like I said, listen to your gut, man. I mean. We've all walked into those houses, and I, I had that feeling, but I was hungry for the work. Um, he what he couldn't do the deposit because his money was in a some kind of trust thing. Um, he was a referral to a guy that I sub lawn mowing to. Um, we don't do lawn mowing, but I got a couple guys. I get so many calls on it. We sub to, and it was a referral from him. They've been cutting this guy's grass for eight years, and. Um, Basically, we did the work. The wife had all kinds of issues that really um, very rare does a customer have an issue that I say that's not warranted at all. Like I, I that I have to have that conversation. These weren't warranted, but I went ahead and made it look like we I just went ahead. OK, we'll take care of it because of her attitude. And at the end of the day, he he was, wasn't paying me, you know, ghosted me for quite a while. Um, so I started leaning into him um, online and blown out of the water. The, the last guy I'm going to get 26000 from is this guy. Uh, he, I think in combination, owed $1.5 million to um, back in the day when you used to do phone book advertisement. He owned like quarter million dollars to those guys. He, I mean, the guy was just... I'm like, I'm not going to get my 26. I went to put a lien on his house. His house was in his dad's name. There was a bunch of legal. So anyways, that was a huge horror story for me. At the time, it hurt really bad. Um, we recovered. You know, I had bad thoughts in my head. He lived at the end of a, had a private lane. You know, I'm like, I'm going to dump like 20 tons of gravel. <laughs> for a moment, my mind got the best of me. You know, there was... Uh, so, anyways, that that was a that that was a bad one. So, taught me a valuable lesson. Um, 
if you have a, you know, I don't really believe in the, hey, do I, am I really going to sit there and do a total back down check on all my customers? I, I'm not going to. I haven't even done that in a year and a half. But if you, if you get a gut feeling, man, you really need to dig deeper. Um, sadly enough, when I, when I have some of those customers that you just like are super, you know it, you know this is going to be, um, we, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure my profits are up there um, because, you know, it's going to be time consuming. You have to account for that. So um, I've often said I'm going to write a book called How to Treat a Contractor 101. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there are, I, I, I don't get me wrong. I've got so, the majority of my clients are so pleasurable. Uh, I'm, I'm blessed to have them. They're amazing. But you've got those few, man, that, um, you know, you, if they read how, how to treat contractor one-on-one, they could definitely get a lot for their money. You know, if you're working for those people that are pleasant, oh, you might, the little things we don't make on dime. If you're working to work with that person that's made your life hell, it's, oh, can you do that? Yeah, it's going to be an extra hundred bucks or that's going to be an extra 500. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some clients out there that don't need to know how to treat their contractor. Absolutely. Their Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Chris, thanks for the story. That uh, that does help, definitely. Um, recurring theme, definitely, on the podcast. Get your contract in order, uh, if, especially for those type of situations. Um, not that that may have helped even uh, with that type of client as well, though. Uh, so moving on from that, I ask this to everybody. Take it wherever you want. Uh, installation practices, equipment that you live by in your business. How has that changed? We've talked, kind of touched on this. How that's changed over time. But um, anything in your business currently, in terms of equipment, installation practices, whatever you want to touch on here that you live by in your business. You know, uh, equipment for us is you know, obviously we've got a couple Bobcats and a Traco dump trucks. Um, you know, I just made this uh, comment over the weekend is um, I, I was kind of making the shoots with my business. So, so, you know, we bought a candy com last year and Watson, these other guys have really helped me. Um, so we've got vacuum lifters now, roller compactor. There's definitely a ton of stuff on our list that we'd like to have. Um, but one thing I want to remind, and, and I don't want young or early on late hardscapers to get discouraged that you don't have to have all that fancy stuff to get the job done. It's really nice. But for a lot of guys that don't have capital, that's really impractical. And so I, I tend to talk to some guys like, yeah, but I don't have the money for a uh, tilt rotator head. Or I don't, it's like, you know, I don't have one yet. I'd love to have one and, and we'll work our way there. Um, so um, definitely, definitely the tools to make it easier. I'm kind of acquiring those one by one slowly. Um, the trap I fell into or not fell into, I walked right into it was my fault is starting permits, telling myself, like you mentioned earlier, how do you have the time to do this? It does consume a lot of my time, but I kept telling my excuse, myself that excuse. So when I started permits, I obviously had to put more time into, uh, you know, take some time, a lot of time away from a hardscape company because I still do all my own quotes and designs and everything. Um, it it kind of, it, it, um, it mellowed me out with how ambitious I was to put together a cool design. I just wanted to do a simple design, sell it to the customer, get the job, keep it simple for my guys, which isn't a bad thing. 
but my heart also lies in doing really cool stuff. <laughs> so I kept saying, I, I, the, the reason I do this or the reason I haven't been working on getting this equipment or that is because I'm so busy over here. Um, so I have, I've had to make the adjustments and currently right in the middle of that right now, of making the adjustments within myself, within my other job, whether that's, you know, I'm kind of debating to hire someone that does more of what I do in that business, the hardscape business. Um, be, because I, I, I'm like flatlining right now, you know, and I need to be thinking about growth, equipment, doing cooler jobs, um, things like that. Uh, since we're on the subject here, um, Chris, why should contractors consider PermEdge as an edge restraint solution for their business? Well, the, the, the number one reason is uh, to use a better product um, to offer your clients uh, the best possible edging. And I know that sounds biased, but, um, you know, the, the, the and it is biased, but, but it, the spiked edgings, um, I, th I think a lot of guys are, especially if they've been doing it for a little while. If you're, if you're a new, new, new person coming in, young lady, young man, you don't know this, but, um, I think most people in general, especially in the free saw areas know the issues with spiked edgings. And um, they're just going to heave up. In my opinion, um, you're starting the, the the failure process in the beginning. You know, most of the papers we put in has tabs on it. So when you're putting that edging up, yeah, you'll fill that with joint sand, but soil mulch is going to work its way down. So from Jump Street, you're, there's a gap there. Um, and not to mention, if, if you're doing clear open graded base, it's really hard to spike edgings. I mean, I know there's some stuff on the market. Um, that that's better than using just a typical spiked edging um, that the guys are using. Um, to me, it's time consuming, and I'm not going to go deep into that. But um, so I, I, you know, perm edge, I believe, is the best option. We we use, like I said, I use concrete for for years, and what a lot of guys don't know um, is the concrete will kind of almost like rotted wood. Uh, it sits wet under the dirt or mulch. It really doesn't have time to thoroughly dry out. It may never totally dry out, so it starts to rot from the bottom. Um, Permedge just gives you the, be the best possible option of, of a wet edge. You get the speed of install. And um, I, I did a presentation last weekend that people will probably start seeing more of. It really digs deep into that. Um, with the non-porous aggregates, the permeability, the flexibility, the admixtures we use to create that. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, how strong is it? And it's, it's you know, really not uh, at a thin profile. You're, if you're really strong, you also, also become rigid. So a little movement and it snaps. You get a little ground movement when it's really rigid like glass. Um, you, you don't want to be too strong. Um, Permedge is, a, you, you can buy a high, high strength bag of concrete, it's about the same PSI as Permedge, but it's more about the flexibility and the permeability, um, getting that water out of there, 80% of the product is non-porous aggregate, so the water can't even get into 80% of it, so it, it's just what, you know, designed to last much longer, and I tell guys, you know, Guys, like that's oh, kind of expensive. It, it, it shouldn't be. It's just something you pass on to your customers. You know, it's one point five percent of the job cost. Um, and we continue to do testing. We're we usually do two rounds of testing at local university, so we're testing out different different stuff to see if there's things that we can add add to it or, or things that come out. We switch fibers 
um, from uh, that we started with in 18. We, you know, those fibers we use now weren't even on the market in 2016. So, so those new things come out. But um, I really do encourage people to try it if you haven't. Uh, I believe it's going to get you out past your warranty terms. You know, with my arts company, Hardscape company, we do a five-year warranty. Used to do three. Um, I would be comfortable going further, but I'm I'm five's good. Most people around here don't even do that, so kind of puts us a step above. Um, but you know, we know Permedge. Um, I, I you know I don't want to slack on the side that you know, hardscapers still have to do their part, right? I mean, no edging is going to work for you if you don't have proper compaction, proper extension, um, those types of things. Um, but um, definitely believe it's it's the best option for anyone right now. Um, whether it's open graded or dense base, works great on dense base as well. Awesome. Chris, uh, just a couple more questions here that I have to end off the interview here. Uh, if you've got a little bit of time left. Uh, sure. I know we're going, kind of going over our hour here, but uh, people that you look up to in the industry from whether that's online, offline, or just look to for inspiration or mentors, anybody here that you want to give a shout out here, like I said, online, offline has helped you along the way or that you look to for inspiration. There's so many, um, you know, I, I, I hate to start mentioning names. I'm afraid I'll leave someone off. And I, I mean, there, there really is. I mean, there, there's the obvious ones that we see a lot of, you know, um, Dan Press, I mean, Mulder, you know, I mean, so many. Um, J Squares, local to me, those guys are awesome. Um, I mean, there, there's, there are so many, like I said. Uh, you, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I'm in this really great spot that I'm able to soak in from so many people and blessed to get to go to these things and meet people in person and, if I would have looked, uh, if anything, one of the greatest things I've taken from Permedge is that ability. It's allowed me to to apply those things to my own hardscape business. But the friendships and things that I have, you know, I would have never thought that, you know, seven years ago or whatever, that I would be friends or, you know, could talk to guys across the country. And so my circle was really small, tight in my community. I had, you know, it's it's, just, it's a whole nother world and to see everybody supporting each other, the knowledge, but I know I did mention some names. Hey guys, there's so many of you. I mean, the small guys inspire me, you know, I see these guys like they come up like, Hey, I've never done a hardscape before. I got a long cut. I mean, I try to take the time to talk to those guys every chance I get and whether I can give them something to help me. Ultimately, those guys end up saying something. I go, Hmm. I, I learned from that. I mean, I can learn from the guy sweeping the street to, to the guy doing the $2 million projects. There's just so much information. And I'm thankful to so many people. Um, extremely thankful to the, the everyone that, that uses PermaEdge. And and I even tell those guys, like, I've got a lot of guys like, hey, you know, we, Chris, we love your product. We're going to be faithful. And I encourage them, if you think there's a better product, I want you to try it. Because I want you to use Permage because you love it, and and I want your projects to succeed. Um, so, you know, I encourage guys to use whatever works best for them, and what they think will make their jobs less hard. But, anyways, I, I'm thankful to so many people, um, so many of our our dealerships, and that have supported us and and made this. And and Instagram has, 
Um, I wouldn't be able to do what I've, I've done without at least the help of social media because I'm a small company. I, I don't have a lot of sales guys. There's very, you know, two and a half of us. <laughs> so so um, uh, thankful for, for everything that, that this has done for us as well. Things like this podcast. Extremely happy to be on here. Humbled that you're having me again, man. It's uh, it's incredible because like I told you offline, uh, 2020 was our first interview or uh, 20 actually ended 2019, I think maybe early yeah. 2020. But that's four years ago already now, which is incredible. And I finally got a chance to meet you in person at H&A, which is great. So, awesome. yeah, it was uh, it, it's really cool the way that uh, this podcast has kind of grown since we last spoke uh, in our in our interview, which was permage based there. But uh two more questions here chris bear with me i didn't prepare you for this one and this was something that i've been wanting to ask uh every contractor that comes on the show now what are you struggling with right now in your business uh and then this is just a a, a starting point to our final question but uh what what is it right now in your hardscape business that you find yourself struggling with well what i've got some really great guys so unfortunate that's not an issue i know a lot of people are having issues with that um what I'm what I'm working on the most right now is um, making our projects more profitable. As I spoke about this equipment, I want um, Weston. It synced up. He sat down with me last year at a trade show. We kind of went through my budget and realized that that I was, you know, undercharging my man hours quite a bit for for my goals and where I wanted to be and what I needed. Um, so that that's something that um, I'm working on quite a bit, um, pretty hard. So I, I that's a constant thing, I guess. You know, um, as you grow, so um, that the financials and um, you know maybe this will help guys out a little bit too. We we've done um, that, and and I'm also I think what comes in line with that also with the financials and try to increase your profit margins is you got to have the work to do that. Right. I mean, you, you can't say, um, and I think that's what I, oh, guys have a hard time with. You can't say, well, I've got to have this. Then you go out and you get turned down every job you're bidding because maybe everyone around you doesn't know their numbers or they have lower overhead or whatever the case may be. So that's challenging, right? You can't just want this amount and you're not getting any work. So what in turn that I'm doing to combat that is um, more marketing. Um, we, ha I really, I haven't done any marketing in the past eight or nine years. We get so many referrals locally. Um, you know, I used to do like the Reach magazine, the magazines and do a little radio ad and, and really haven't besides our website done any marketing. And COVID years were so good. And this past year, I felt it coming down a little bit. But as it's coming down, I mean, we're not hurting. I mean, we're booked up three, four months right now. But I, as I want to increase my profits, I also need to increase the amount of people that I'm talking to about new jobs. So um, I thought, <laughs> sounds funny. I went really old school. I went door hangers. I did 5,000 door hangers for 400 bucks, 450 bucks. Really nice. You guys can order them online, whatever. And it gave my guys, my guys, uh, they didn't put all 5,000 out. I think we hit around 3,000. I didn't put an end date on it so I can use them again next year. I put the, the month dates, but I, I didn't put a date of the year on them. So um, 
But my my the reason I'm telling you this, and I didn't pre-plan this. I just thought my guys can put them out for five or six days while it's brutal cold here. They can walk around, put them up. And uh, what do people have now that we didn't have ten years ago at their front door? Oh, the ring doorbells. Yeah, yeah. Ah. So early on, when I started my business, you'd put them out. They get you know blow off, or you know, people put them in the you know eighty percent of them will throw them in the trash anyways. But after the first day, my guys came back and said, man, it was amazing. Like 50, 60% of them were already taken off the door before we walked back to the truck. So I immediately started getting calls and emails. And so it might be a good tip for other guys in other areas. Uh, for Your ORI is high, I think. Um, I think we put them out about two weeks ago. I've, I think I've scheduled 13, 14 new appointments. And it's probably just starting. Um, they just quit putting them out the end of last week. So anyways, that's interesting. I think you have to increase the amount of people you're getting in front of to increase your profits or, right. or just be in a really good area for that. And, and that's tough because of all the guys around you don't know their numbers or bidding jobs low. It makes it harder on you to get, get your profit margins. Um, so anyways, I'm trying to increase the amount of people I get in front of and increase my profit margins is my that that's a, such a great point. Like as much as uh, cost-based estimating is great and it's good to be able to sit down and budget to where you want to be in the future. If your market is telling you no, 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 and your closing rate's going down, your price too high based on what your costs are. So you have to look inward as opposed to, you know, uh looking outward in that in that sense for sure. Yeah, you have to save some fat, I get you know, or, or whatever. Yeah, or like you right. said, increase the leads coming into your business for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think that can help. I think I think having the ability to pick and choose, you know. Yes. We all have those two thirty thousand dollar jobs, same amount of money, but we're way more profitable at doing doing this job. Yeah. The same thirty thousand dollar job, we record shows where we haven't been as profitable, so. Allowing you to pick and choose the jobs you really want to go after. Definitely. And final question, I promise here, Chris, what is one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? This could be business related. This could be personal related, but whatever you want to take this, uh, what's one thing you know now that you wish you knew from the very beginning? There's uh, there's obviously a lot, but um, this is business, but not, but it's extremely important is knowing, especially if you have a family, knowing being able to manage that. Um, uh, you know, I'm married. I've got kids. Um, early on, you know, we all work our tails off. You know, I mean, probably there's not many of us that run our own business. You know, it's really hard in the beginning, but you have to set yourself up to account for that, that, that to be home for your family, to balance that properly. And really, in my opinion, is more about being present in the mind. So maybe you're home, but you've got all this stuff in your mind about the next day work, the next two weeks, that bid you just put out. And so you, you really have to be careful. Um, you know, what I've done to minimize that over the years, a couple of tips on what has worked for me is um, I was that guy that was on the job all day and scheduled all of my appointments after four o'clock. Sometimes I take them up till eight, nine o'clock at night sometimes. So I, I'm not getting home till eight, to, eight and 10, four or five days a week. And um, 
after our first daughter was born, she's 17 now. When she was about my five, my wife sat me down and said, I, I just let you know, I feel like a single mother. And that really did a lot to me. And um, I tell you, it, 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 it changed for the better. I started doing all my appointments um, between three and five and only a few days a week. Sometimes I'd do them on Saturdays till noon, depending on, but Sundays were always family fun day. And um, this rolls over into your business a lot too. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's managing all those things we talked about earlier from the time you're allowing yourself. Um, even, even that initial consult, we all want to be quick to like, man, we've got to schedule it the next couple of days. And granted, you should. The quicker you can get to that customer, if they're hot, get the sale done. You don't want someone, don't get me wrong. But if you're stacked up and you got plenty of work and it's going to affect your life in a negative way, schedule it out 10 days or my, this is my availability. And if it's a high end client, sometimes that speak that helps because they go, this guy's good. He's busy, you know, but anyways, that, that is um, one of the, the harder lessons that I've learned um, that my life's completely different. Now I, I try to manage that time. My wife travels too for work. You know, I'm in travel season now, um, but um, and, and not only that, if you've got kids, man, while they're young, it's, it's really going to affect that. You know, when I was coming home from work and they didn't want anything to do with dad because I'm never here, I, I had to change that. Well, Chris, uh, excellent, excellent advice here. Thanks so much for sitting down with me for the past hour and a half almost here. Uh, where can our audience yeah. go find out more about you? Uh, where do you want to send them to and uh, any closing comments there? Uh, thanks, Mike, for having me. Number one, I'm sure it went over because I, I gab a lot. Sometimes I get a little extended on my answers. Um, so, yeah, um, Perma Page Regging on Instagram. Um, I, kn I know this was um, you know, a little bit about my hardscape background, and I appreciate that. I've really the first time Mike here that I've discussed it with anyone. I, I don't promote it a whole lot. I mean, I let people know that I hardscape. Um, but I, I think I'm going to start digging more into my story and where it yeah. came from. So I appreciate the opportunity. but. Um, I don't do a lot of social media marketing with the Hardscape Company. I got a Facebook page. Um, but um, yeah, Perma Payrolls are main, mainly on Instagram. There are some YouTube videos, but um, you can follow us there. If, if any of you need have any questions um, about Permage or you can't find a dealer near you or anything like that, always feel free to reach out at 844-4-EDGING. You can call our office, speak directly with one of us, um, or you can message us on Instagram. Um, or you can email me directly at um, chris at perma-edge.com. Thank you for listening to today's podcast episode. Learn more about Chris and PermaEdge at PermaEdge on Instagram and show them some love there. If you want to learn more about PermaEdge Concrete Edge Restraint, we have a podcast episode way back and I will link that episode in today's show notes if you want to listen to that there. We want to say thank you to our sponsor, Cycle CPA. If you're looking for bookkeeping, accounting, CFO services, reach out to Cycle CPA at cyclecpa.com. Let them know how to Hardscape sent you for money off their services there and the How to Hardscape headquarters. If you're looking for a software to dive into this year, now is the time. Reach out to me at How to Hardscape on Instagram or members.howtohardscape.com to learn more about that. And we look forward to meeting with you next week on the How to Hardscape podcast. Yeah, I'm Chris Yancey. I own Yanton's Outdoor Living in Beaver Creek, Ohio. It's a hardscape company, design and build. Also, it's Perma Edge, uh, Perma Paver Edging. Um, 
And um, thanks for having me, Mike. And I am a hardscaper. Well, we'll do that at the very end. Don't worry about that. We'll oh, do that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's not this part. That's not this part. I thought we were. I thought we were at that part. My bad. <laughs>